Hey there, I'm Melanie Reed, and this is the HR Mentor. I'm so thrilled to have my good friend Joel Peterson back on the HR Mentor podcast this week to talk all about references. If you follow this podcast and you heard Joel and I talk about recruiting in season one, you would have picked up that Joel promised to come back and have a conversation with me about the importance of conducting good references during the selection process. So I'm really happy that Joel is a man of his word and he's joining me today to have this conversation about references. If you didn't get a chance to listen to my first conversations with Joel, I encourage you to check out episodes 14 and 15 in season one of The HR Mentor. We talk about the global pandemic that we're still living in, how that's affected the job market, and also a little bit about recruiting as a professional choice. Joel has been in the recruitment field for many years, and he is currently the founder and managing director of Arbutus Search Group. They are a boutique recruitment firm based out of the Vancouver area, but Joel recruits all over our beautiful province and beyond. I know you're going to get a lot out of this conversation if you are currently in a role where you have to recruit Or if you're a job candidate and you're not sure how to approach the reference process, Joel has some great tips and insight for you, as well as a few stories to share. Joel even gets me to share one of my worst reference stories, one that I share with my students to help them avoid one of my biggest mistakes I ever made in a recruiting role. I also learned some fun personal facts about Joel when I put him through my five speed questions at the end. I think you're really going to enjoy this. So let's get started. Welcome to the HR Mentor Podcast, the podcast for emerging HR practitioners to get practical advice, tools, and strategies to build credibility, confidence, and ultimately a fulfilling HR career. Well, welcome back, Joel. I'm so excited to have you on the show again. As we mentioned in our last episode, can't even remember where when that was last year sometime, you promised that we would come back and talk about references. So I'm glad we're we're holding each other to that promise and, and that you're here joining me today. So welcome back. Thank you, Melanie. I am excited to chat with you again. And, and yes, I think references are a a great topic to to cover off. So excited for our chat today. Awesome. Well, as you know, I, I have some questions I want to ask you about this and, and we'll get right into that. But I think that, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode with you is that this is a question I get asked a lot about is how to handle references? Is there any value in doing references? And I and I get it both from the job seeker side and the employer side. So I totally agree. I think this is an important topic where there is a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty that people have about it. So I'm glad we're doing this. So let's get right into this. One of the things I've been dying to get your opinion on is just whether or not this really is a must-have part of a selection process. So, you know, obviously, as a professional recruiter, you engage with a lot of hiring managers, and 
HR professionals. And I do hear from various people that references are maybe a nice to have, but not necessary. So I want to know what you think. Do you believe references are a must have part of the selection process? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, you know, and I'll, I'll give some context uh, before I answer. So I'll say, you know, I've been recruiting both in-house as a corporate recruiter and as an agency recruiter for almost 15 years now, as, as you know. So with that said, I have seen, you know, both good and bad references and, and you know, kind of indifferent references. And so, you know, that's context for my response, which is really, yeah, I do think they're, you know, they're necessary. I think they're, they can add a lot of value. And I guess, you know, for the kind of rare times that you get a bad reference for somebody, it can help you avoid, you know, the wrong hire. So, you know, I would say, yes, they are necessary. Yes, they do add value. And I think, you know, you should put probably a relevant weighting on, you know, that reference and and give it, you know, a, a certain level of value in the process. So you're not just using the reference as your final decision point, but you're using it in conjunction with other points of data throughout the interview and and screening process when making a hire. Yeah. And you know what, you've said two things there that I I just want to highlight that I think are super important. The value add piece, right? So in any given selection process, you're going to have an a number of steps, hopefully, I believe that those references add value and validation to those other parts of the process. Yes. And, and I think it's really important what you said is that this is part of a process. It's not the process. So we don't want to be using those references as our only data point, but they can help validate other data points. Is that what you mean? That's exactly it. You know, I, and we can get into this later on, but I, you know, I kind of have some techniques for what you're looking for in a reference. You know, there's certain aspects you might want to focus on. Certainly there's lots of questions you could ask that could add value, but there's, you know, a few particular questions that I think will, will get you the most value. And, you know, it's kind of like a personality assessment. Would you go through the process, you know, get, you know, five stars or thumbs up from all of your interviewers about a candidate get to the end, do a personality assessment and say, well, they failed the personality assessment. Let's go another way. I would hope not, <laughs> you know, um, you know, there's, there might be things in there to, to keep in mind when you do hire the person and, you know, from a coaching and training perspective that you can leverage, you know, that's what these assessments are for, whether it's references or personality assessments, but yeah, you wouldn't base your entire decision on, you know, just one reference or two references or, or a personality assessment. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, that's great. I, I appreciate the the context that you're offering there. So, so Joel, as I said, you work with a lot of hiring managers, you know, our listeners do as well. So what would you say to a hiring manager that wants to skip the process that just says, you know what, Joel, these references are a waste of time. I just want to make my decision now and move ahead. What would you say to them? Yeah, that's, that's funny. I, I do get managers saying, you know, aren't references just a joke anyways? You know, they'll say it's right. probably just their friends, their buddies, you know, a past manager that's, you know, an uncle or something like, yes, I get it. There are going to be those from time to time. I, I'd like to think that, 
the majority of professionals out there are going to offer, you know, an individual that they reported to, which, you know, and I always say, we need to get your former boss or your, you right. know, if they're comfortable with it, maybe they've just left, you know, their current boss, you know, something like that, but someone they reported to that could talk to their work ethic and other things. But yeah, I, you know, I sometimes try and say to them, you know, there's that, that one chance that if we don't check the reference, you know, something could have come up that could have, you know, either a steered us in a different direction potentially because, you know, there was some risk there, you know, maybe they got caught stealing at their last job. And if we called that reference, we would have found that out, you know, or, you know, something, uh, you know, less concerning and, and more just a, a point of, you know, an area for development for that individual. And I always say to them, you know, wouldn't you want to know how best to leverage their experience and their expertise and, and how to, you know, help them be a satisfied, engaged employee on your team? And I think a reference can help you do that. It's not just about finding out their weaknesses and their strengths. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, that comes down to how you use the reference process, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of hiring managers and NHR professionals, you know, they have a, a set of whatever, five to seven or nine questions, and they ask the same questions of every reference that they use, regardless of, of the role or the candidate. And so often the information isn't very valuable or doesn't add value to the process, right? Right. So what do you recommend in terms of the types of questions or how a recruiter or an HR professional should structure reference questions? Best approach would be to start off and and I always like to let people know why I'm calling and and it's it's to put them at ease, I guess, you know, kind of like I do and you and I've talked about this before Melanie about, you know, kind of being approachable and and kind, you know, on interviews with people to, to let them be their best self. It's yeah. different on a reference call. You don't want to sound like you're an interrogator or, you know, a cop looking for a crime. You want to look or you want to, you know, be approachable and, and just be really curious about how this person has performed in the past and how you could get the most out of them going forward. And so I think if you kind of structure you know, just some preamble, tell them a little bit about the role, the, the organization, maybe briefly so that they have some context and then get some of the administrative stuff out of the way right off the bat. Like what years did they work for you or what time frame did they work for you? Right. What was what were their duties? And once you get through that stuff, then you can dive into, you know, you can ask questions like what are their strengths and weaknesses? And I always like to frame the weaknesses as what are the areas we could probably have the biggest wins developing this individual or what are the areas most ripe for development in this individual? I love that. Yeah. And I think that puts people at ease, you know, because when they're signing up to be a reference for someone, you know, they don't want to sink that person's ship or they don't want to, you know, say, well, here's all the things they're not good at. But if you frame it up as, you know, what are the areas of development and, and some of those other ways that I put it, you can really get people to open up and give you opportunities that you could, you know, potentially not have seen in the interview process and, and could just add to a development plan to for them uh, when they join the organization. I think that's a great way of framing that. I've never really thought about that before, but I'm, I'm guessing, yeah, you probably get some 
really valuable information from people. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I've asked the question of, can you tell me about a couple of their weaknesses? And they'll say, you know, I, I can't think of any. Yeah. They're really good. And then I'll say, okay, fair enough. So how about a couple of areas of development? What, where could we, you know, spend, you know, a bit of time to really help them develop? You know, think of, think of any areas that, that might come to mind and people, you know, I'm stopping them at, at, at five items, you know, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just framing up that question differently so that they can, yeah. they can, you know, come with a more positive, almost opportunistic answer as opposed to, wow, I could, I could really sink this person right now if I told them they're their three biggest weaknesses. Yeah. Well, and I think you're creating a bit of a safe space for them to answer honestly as well, right? By asking it that way. That's awesome. So what about situations where you call the reference and you discover that the person didn't didn't vet the reference ahead of time or get their permission, like they're really taken aback because I've had that happen in the past. How do you approach those situations? Yeah, I don't know if I've called a reference and had them surprised, Hmm. surprised that someone had given them as a reference. I guess there, you know, there might've been one or two where, you know, they left the company, didn't keep in touch, but somehow had the person's office number, let's say, and and just sent it off. I would say it was probably not a great relationship and I could sense yeah. that, you know, and, and I think that's a big thing is reading between the lines on a reference. You know, if you're sensing something that was, you know, there was a bit of, you know, you know tension between them, you, you want to note that. You want to share that with the hiring manager and, and maybe try and find some context for that. And maybe even call it out with the reference if you're on the phone with them and you're noticing that there could have been some tension between them. Maybe they're not terribly engaged in the call or, you know, who knows, maybe they're just busy uh, when you're catching them, but, uh, you know, calling it out and asking. So I'm, I'm, you know, kind of reading between the lines here and the, you know, the, the tone and sound of your voice and your response is, you know, how did you get along? You know, what, what was that relationship like? Was it strained? Yeah, but I'd be interested to hear your experiences. It sounds like you've had a few that uh, that, that didn't expect your call. Well, yeah, I, I certainly have. And I, you know, I think the way I approached it is really just validating that they did know the person, first of all, and actually work directly with them. Because as you said before, that's super important to me. And I always coach hiring managers on pushing to get good references, right? Because I think sometimes your comment at the beginning of our conversation here where, you know, people say, oh, well, people just use their friends and there's no value in the process because they're all sandbagged essentially, right? (laughs) But I always say to people, well, are you pushing to get good references, specifically people that directly supervise the individual? And they usually don't push for that. They just assume that they can't, that whatever references they're given are the ones they have to accept. And, you know, I've even worked in places where candidates have said, well, I can't, I can't give you my direct supervisor because I don't want them to know I'm looking for a, a job right now. And, you know, I don't know how you approach that, but what I've done in the past is just always 
said to them, I completely understand. I know it's really difficult, but it's really important to our decision that we speak to someone that supervises you directly. So here's what I'm going to recommend. We're not going to check references until you're in the final stages of the process, but we are going to need to talk to somebody that's supervising you directly. And if they want to go on in the process, nine times out of 10, they produce the reference. They have the difficult conversation. It shows that they're committed to the opportunity or the role. And and 90% of the time it all works out and they're the selected candidate. Yeah. I I think you framed it up perfectly, Melanie. You know, I've, I've told candidates in the past, you know, because they'll give me an answer of, oh, you know, I, I haven't kept in touch with that manager from that that place. I, you know, I just lost touch. I don't have their number, or I called their cell and they didn't respond. And I say, hey, I'm really good at finding people <laughs> as a yeah. recruiter. You just give me their name and and what company they work for, and I'll go I'll go track them down for you. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm not necessarily going to call them myself. Uh, yeah. You know, without their permission. But what I what I've said is. I'll find out where they are and how to connect with them and then get you in touch with them. So you can, you can give them a ring and, you know, preface, preface my call, but I just have to assume people don't just drop off the face of the earth, you know, right. except in really rare cases. Again, it's been 15 years and I can't think of a single reference that we couldn't track down to have a conversation with somebody. So yeah, yeah. I think it is important to make sure that they understand, you know, early on that when we check references, it's going to need to be, a direct reporting manager and, and someone that can yeah. can speak to your skills and abilities and, you know, uh, fit for the company, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Just a, another question related to that about the types of questions you ask and, and what's important during that reference call. Do you use that as an opportunity to validate things the candidate has told you through the selection process? Yeah, we, we do. And I think, yeah, there's validation of, of things they've said, you know, things that are on their resume. And then even beyond that, things that are just, you know, important to us in terms of learning the environment. You know, we might, let's say, as an example, we're looking for an agile project manager that's working in you know, maybe a small startup environment. And right. so when we call and check the reference, it, reference we might ask that manager, so what kind of you know software development environment is it? Waterfall, is it an agile environment? Uh, you know, do they do sprints? Is it pretty dynamic? You know, how innovative or creative can the team get? You know, versus another environment that might be a little more stagnant. You know, uh, kind of a traditional waterfall software development shop that you know just doesn't have that same agile methodology, and so we can validate that this person came from, you know, an environment that's going to be really relevant to the work that we're doing in this new role for them. That's great. Yeah. I think that's often the missed opportunity in these is not using it as a validation process in a sense, Mm -hmm. right? A, A lot of managers will say, you know, how do I know that what they're telling me is the truth through the process, right? In a sense, you're you're taking people at their word that they completed these projects, that they had this role. And that's where I see a great deal of value in that reference checking process, because you're going to talk to someone that 
can validate what they've told you or what they've, you know, as you said, what was the environment like? Is it similar to, you know, the environment they would be going into? And and that gives you a sense of, could they thrive? You know, have they done it before? Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. Joel, uh, going more towards your process and, and what you, you know, what you think is a good process for reference checks. When I was in a corporate HR recruiting role, I often asked hiring managers to make the reference calls. And I want to know what your thoughts are on having managers actually make those calls themselves. You know, I, I, I guess this is probably one area I'm, I'm a little bit indifferent, uh, you know, kind of on the fence. I, I could go either way. I think having a manager here in real time, what this person's previous manager, you know, says about the individual, how they talk about them, you know, describing their environment. I, I think that could be great. I think if the hiring manager, you know, has the confidence and, and the comfort with, getting curious, you know, with the reference and really asking good questions and then listening and reading between the lines, I wouldn't have any hesitation. I would say maybe a new manager that, you know, may not, you know, be as confident or, you know, necessarily have, you know, someone who maybe hasn't interviewed a lot of people, it could be tricky for them to get, you know, you know, the right data or or dig into it enough. But yeah, I don't, I don't have any concerns we've coached managers before that were new managers to go and do references you know i i I think it's fine either way to be honest i'd I'd be interested to hear your thoughts though well i i mean i totally agree with you i think it depends on the circumstance on the the hiring manager one scenario where i have used managers to check references is in very technical roles where i don't have the full in-depth technical understanding and, and that technical side is critically important to the role, right? So if we've been through an interview process and, you know, the hiring manager has asked the candidate questions about their technical expertise or that sort of thing, I almost like them to talk to the former supervisor to validate whether or not they did perform at the level that the candidate expressed during the interview or or were involved with things that they said they were involved with on their resume. Because often I don't have all of the technical knowledge to probe the reference to to go a bit deeper in terms of the projects they've worked on. So that's where I've used, but I completely agree with you that they also need to be able to like you said, read between the lines, ask probing questions and dig a little bit deeper on on other aspects that they might not be so comfortable with, say interpersonal skills or relationships or those sorts of things that maybe are more important to the culture side of the organization or the department, right? Yeah. So that's, I, I agree. I think it depends on the situation. That's one of those ones where I would never say, you know, blanket, hiring managers should always do it or, you know, recruiters should always do it. I think it depends on the situation. Yeah, totally agree. And sometimes hiring managers want to do it. Like, believe it or not, I've had organizations where the hiring managers wanted to have those conversations, especially if they have two candidates that they're really close on, 
or if there's some red flags that came up in the interview process where, where they, you know, more experienced managers where they want to actually have that conversation. Yeah, I agree. So what do you say to people that, that say references are either always good or never val- offer valuable information to the decision-making people that are in kind of those opposing camps? Yeah, I just, I don't, I, I mean, I, I guess I just disagree that they don't add value. You know, you, again, every conversation, every data point is going to add some value is it the be all, you know, for, for, you know, decision-making? No, absolutely not. But, you know, if you could just get, you know, 10% more clarity on, on this candidate and their background and, you know, ask someone else that's worked with them to find, you know, a couple points of data that give you either more confidence or just give you another point to reflect on. And, you know, ultimately maybe another point to help coach that person or, or to anticipate yeah. some of their, their development areas, I think that there's going to be value to it. So I would, you know, I, I couldn't get on board with it just not being a value, you know, for whatever, you know, the reason is some, as, as you say, sometimes people just think they're just the person's friend and they're going to say whatever, you know, you want to hear. I, you know, I, I don't really buy into that. I think we can do a good enough job of, you know, asking the right questions to, to kind of sniff out if somebody's just literally just, you know, answering questions to be, you know, cordial to their friend kind of thing. So that makes sense. It, it's interesting. You said incremental value and and there's this concept that I teach in my staffing and planning class, which really is about, I well, I guess the incremental value of adding one more step to the selection process. So I teach a very science-based process. We talk about reliability and validity of different methods and, and really stress that, you know, relying on a one-hour interview to say forever and ever till death do us part is probably not the best approach. And you and I have talked about that before. But there has to be value in adding another step to the process, right? So if you're going to have an interview that asks a bunch of questions, and then you have an assessment where you ask about the exact same things, and then you have a reference where you ask about the exact same things, you're not adding incremental value, you're just doing the same thing over and over again, right? So I think that's an important concept, especially for people that are new to recruiting or, you know, just getting into the business, so to speak, that when you adding a step for the sake of having more steps isn't the best approach. There has to be something else you're learning in each of those steps. Yes. Does that make sense? Like it totally does. Yeah. It, you know, I, I've heard feedback you know, pretty consistently over the years. And, you know, a lot of this is people posting on LinkedIn and, and other, you know, maybe job board sites, things like that, Glassdoor, things like that, where people yeah. are complaining about the interview process. And oh. this is one of my biggest pet peeves. And maybe we could just chat about it for a second here is that yeah. you have, let's say you have three interviews for a candidate, three separate interviews. They meet hopefully different groups of people each time. And when they come back, they're asked the exact same questions. So they go through three rounds of interviews that all ask the same questions, but are asked by different people. And that's just crazy to me. You know, the yeah. thought that everyone just repeats the same questions and has them answer it the same way. Like, I don't know if companies are just trying to catch 
companies that are doing that are just trying to catch the candidate maybe in a lie, like, you know, oh, you answered that question differently the second time. So you made it up the first time. I, right. I'm not sure the thought process on that, but I mean, that's a common theme for yes. people who go through, you know, generally you're hearing it from the people that went through five rounds and they had the same questions every time. And it was like, did the first, you know, th two rounds, three rounds of people not communicate with the other rounds of interviewers? to articulate how they did in that area. Because if you're bringing somebody back three to five times, again, you need to be adding value each time or why not just interview them once? You know, put that whole panel of 10 people into the room, ask all those questions once and you're done. Make the hiring decision rather than bringing somebody back, you know, three to five times to ask the same questions. Yes. You know, it's interesting you say that because I think there is a school of thought around that. And I, I believe it is used that kind of method in some of the larger tech companies, at least it was at, at their, you know, at the beginning when the, the Googles and the apples yep. started mass hiring and, and expansion. And there's this book called the effective hiring manager. I can't remember the name of the author. I have a client that actually, that gave me a copy because he he liked the book and that was what the gentleman recommended in the book was that the candidate has multiple interviews with individuals so one-on-one -on -one interviews and everybody asks the same questions to see if there's consistency to me it just seemed like a really huge time cost with not a lot of incremental value yeah so i I'm sure there's good reasons behind it, but I don't really, I don't really see the value in doing it that way. Personally, I I'm with you. I think there's better value in, in having measuring different things with different selection methods. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think you, you'll get somebody who can game that system pretty easily and say, well, just memorize my answers. And, you know, here I go, I'm going to the second round. I'm going to give all the same answers. I've rehearsed it they're going to get through the process, which I guess, you know, anyone can, can rehearse and prepare for interviews. But if you have a dynamic conversation and discussion, you're not just, you know, kind of rapid firing the same 10 questions, 20 questions, whatever they are, you know, you're going to learn a lot more about a person. So, yeah. Well, and I almost wonder if, you know, I think part of it is then you have an opportunity as a, as a hiring team or panel where everybody comes together and discusses their responses and how they interpreted them. But to me, that also can lead to more biased decision-making. Like if I was going to do it that way, you'd have to have a pretty strong scoring mechanism yeah, in order to make sure that people's biases aren't at play. And I would think too, like if you were doing that all in a day, like those multiple rounds, by the time the candidate gets to the fifth or sixth person they've met with, they're probably a little more fatigued. They're not yeah. going to be sort of on their game. They've <laughs> answered the same question six times. Yeah. I just, I don't know. To me, it seems a bit gimmicky in a sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. agree. And maybe someone, maybe someone out there listening to this, you know, will will argue the opposite. And I'd love to hear from anyone that that's used this method that uh, 
that has seen it work really well and and why that is because I'm super curious about that. Yeah, I'd love to know as well. Yeah. So, Joel, we've talked about, uh, you know, some of the things you recommend in terms of structuring how the reference goes about, you know, responding to questions and probing. Do you have any horror stories of, you know, reference processes going bad or possibly skipping the process and having that come back and bite you? You know, I can't think of anywhere we skipped the process. I can say I've had some really uncomfortable conversations with references. Okay. You know, that maybe that's helpful to your listeners. You know, not, you know, all, not all of these conversations are just going to be really light and breezy and and fun conversations because there are going to be references that are, you know, maybe they're upset, you know, frustrated with the, the, the person's work. Maybe they're just in a bad situation themselves at work. I mean, you know, you really don't know where somebody's coming from until you get into the conversation and, you know, you have to kind of be ready to hear some bad stuff, you know, or negative, negative stuff. And, Again, that's where I always say I want to read between the lines and get the context for the, the information they're giving me. You know, what's what's the what's the em- employment environment and the culture like in that organization? And sometimes that's data that I will have gathered from Glassdoor or just knowing of the company. Uh, sometimes right. it's what I'll get from the actual reference in the conversation. Uh, but yeah, sometimes they're going to be really uncomfortable conversations and they're you know, the person might even tell you, you know, I'll, I'll never hire that guy again. You know, you shouldn't either. And, you know, that's pretty yeah. concerning, uh, you know, because there's, there's even legal concerns, you know, for someone giving a reference like that. Um, you know, that's another thing we haven't talked about is some organizations mm-hmm. refuse to give a reference because of the legal risk and that individual coming, coming after them later on, you know, because they didn't say, you know, something that, that helped them get the job. In fact, they might've said something that, that prevented them from getting the job. Right. Um, so, yeah, but no, I've had some pretty uncomfortable conversations, you know, and I just have to take it all, you know, kind of in stride, share it with the hiring manager, you know, in a way that, you know, is, is transparent and honest and, and say, you know, there's real concerns with, with this person's, you know, maybe it's their integrity, their work ethic, um, their ability to listen or take feedback. I and mean, it could be any number of things. And I've, I've even had, you know, those tough conversations and still had a manager say, Nope, that's fine. I, I know what I'm getting into and this is the person I want. And they proceeded. And other times they've said, you know what, that's concerning for us because, you know, that's the opposite of what we're looking for in this environment. And, you know, we saw it in the interview, but we wanted to validate it. And, and now we're validating it. So, um, you know, they've gone another direction. Yeah. Well, I have a a couple things that uh, all of that was just great information because it, I think it's important for people that are new to recruiting to recognize that, you know, one of the things that you have to do in an interview and in a reference check is think on your feet sometimes, right? It's not, I think sometimes people think reference checking or interviewing is just like order taking, right? You just ask the questions and write down the answer. And that's not how you do either of that, those processes effectively, right? You have to be thinking on your feet, you have to be 
prepared to respond to what people say, to probe. It's a skill and it and it's something you develop over time and and with experience. So I appreciate you saying that because I think a lot of organizations too they'll give the reference checks to maybe the most junior person on their team because they don't really see the value in the process, right? Yeah. So yeah. and and it's not to say maybe they're maybe the they are the right person to do it. Maybe they're really good at probing, but I know from my experience in many organizations, the most junior HR person would be tasked with doing the reference checks. And I don't think that's a good idea. You know, recruiters and HR generalists, they're busy and they're like, you know, especially in a generalist role where you're pulled in many directions and recruiting is just one of many things you do, they'll often give it to the HR assistant and say, well, you go check these three references. And then they come back and go, yeah, I talked to these people. It's fine. But did they really learn anything? Yes. <laughs> you know, so I, I think that's a really important point that there's, you know, they can be tough conversations. And in order to get value out of them, you have to be willing to kind of engage with the person on the other end of the phone. You're not just an order taker. Yeah, I, I agree 100%, Melanie. I think it's, it's the, you know, the proper training, you know, getting helping them you know, ask the right questions and then really listen for the answers. And and again, I keep using the term reading between the lines as they're responding. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing you said in there was, you know, sometimes you have to let go of the outcome, right? You, you give the hiring manager all the information and they did it. It's not positive. You don't recommend them hiring the person, but they're going to do it anyway. Right. How do you handle those situations? I think, you know, we're all we're all going into this eyes wide open at that point. We recognize, you know, not everyone's perfect, (laughs) you know, and I think sometimes there is context, you know, there for that situation where, you know, the environment they were in before was pretty toxic. You know, maybe that's the scenario Mm -hmm. that, that happened. And so, you know, even the best of people would, would have struggled in that environment. Um, right. You know, context can help a lot. Um, but, you know, I, again, we're, you know, we're here to help steward hiring managers through the process and give them all of the data that, that we gather and as much data as we can. And, you know, if at the end of the day, they just really feel confident that they can, can manage that individual, then, you know, we, we've got to trust them, you know, trust, let them trust their gut and, and go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. There's, there's a point that comes where you have to, well, and I think HR is just like this. You have to take yourself out of the equation, right? So you might feel really strongly, you make your point, but at some point you have to just let go of that because at the end of the day, it's the hiring manager's decision you know, if they make a mistake or an error in, in the decision, it's also their error. Yes, we are often the ones that have to go in and, you know, find another candidate or or you know, clean up the mess or help guide them through resolving the situation. But at the end of the day, it is their decision. If you've done your job, you've given them all the possible information, you have to sometimes just let go, right? And there's no point in stomping your feet and, and uh, yeah, making yourself upset over something that's not your decision to make. That's right. right. And, you know, I, I would never stomp my feet because they didn't want to hire the person. <laughs> and so, 
I'm not going to stomp my feet when they decide they're going to. And, and you yeah. know, we have data to prove that maybe it's not the best hire or it's not the best fit, but yeah, you, yeah. you give all the data you can and you know, let them, let them make their best, best, best judgment. I think that's even probably more relevant in, in your role when you're, when you're recruiting on behalf of an organization versus when you're in a corporate HR or corporate recruiting role and you have an ongoing relationship with that manager, right? It's yeah. In both cases, we really have to manage the relationship with the person, right? And, and remember it's not about us. And I think that's something that I learned early in my career, but I see lots of HR professionals that, don't ever learn that, right? That they they make it about them and and that's not really what we do. So yeah, that's important. That's, that's a great point. It's not about us. You know, it's yeah. about them and their team and, and what the organization needs to achieve. And, you know, we'll, we'll be here and share our expertise and experience, but it's not about us in the end. Well, and, and I think too, sometimes they see things that, we don't. And I know I've experienced that where I felt really strongly about a candidate and they really wanted to go a different direction. And I made my points or arguments or, or what have you. But sometimes they see see things, they know their team better and, and how people are going to mesh. And, and it has worked out when I thought it wouldn't, right? Because they do have a different perspective than I do from my role. So you also have to remember that you don't have perfect 2020 vision and you can't tell the future. And and like you said before, sometimes the environment they're coming from, even though there's red flags, there could be reasons for that, right? So absolutely. absolutely. I, I do have one little horror story that I like to share. And it's, it's not a horror story, I guess, because it did work out okay. But, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I was having a really hard time getting references for an entry level role in an organization I was recruiting for. And I was in a corporate HR role. And the hiring manager was breathing down my neck to get, you know, a, a body in there, somebody to fill this role. And I could not get more than one reference for this candidate. So they had given me two. I couldn't get a hold of the second person. I went back to the candidate and said, look, I'm having a really hard time getting a hold of your supervisor at X organization. And the candidate said, oh, that's weird. Maybe they're away. Anyway, so I waited another day or so. I couldn't get it. So I risked it out. And I went with the one reference, made the candidate a job offer, and not 12 hours later, I got a mysterious phone call from someone saying, hey, that person you just hired stole from us. Oh, no. And it was their former former employer. And it was, I was trying to get a hold of someone at this organization. And I was like, uh, pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> so they never did validate themselves. Uh, like the person phoning, they said where they worked and and that sort of thing. And I was like, oh, okay, so what do I do in this situation? So what I ended up doing is I was just honest with the with the candidate who I had hired, but they hadn't started. And I phoned them and I told them what happened. And before I could even finish explaining the whole phone call, they confessed. 
They said that they did, in fact, get caught up in this sort of scam and and they had stolen a significant amount of money from the organization and were terminated. Yeah, and I I had to let them go. And it was a teachable moment in a sense for the candidate because I said, you know, had you come forward with this at the beginning, we might have been able to do something. But you have to be honest with people about what happened and in order for them to be able to work with you, right? Yeah. Because it was a complete breach of trust. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's concerning. That's really concerning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we, your heart must have just skipped a beat there, stopped for a minute. <laughs> you oh. didn't realize what was going on. I was I was just devastated and and in many ways grateful that I was able to you know mitigate it before the person started because I couldn't you know imagine the downstream yeah. <laughs> of hiring the person and then having them be in a position where they were dealing with money and and potentially you know being put in that position again so yeah. Yeah, it was it was really stressful, but I learned my lesson and it was fairly early in my career. So I I learned my lesson that you never risk it out. Yeah. That you know always more than one reference, that's my belief and you just keep going until you can get it and and put pressure on the candidate to help you get a hold of the person. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that's where my spidey senses would be up, and I'd be thinking, okay, wh- like what you know, what is it that's preventing this person either from returning my call or from preventing me from getting in touch with them? You know, is it yeah. number, email bouncing back? You know, any of those things would would definitely have my concerns up, and and go back to yeah, to your point, maybe back to the candidate, and say, do you have anybody else we can call? Because if not, we really need to reach this person in particular. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's good that you found out when you did. Joel, how many references do you recommend your clients obtain? Usually two. We'll okay. say, you know, two previous hiring managers or reporting managers. And then if they had a third that they wanted to throw in the mix, you know, maybe they're in a sales role and they wanted to throw a customer in or you know, someone mm. else on a different team that they were responsible for delivering work to. But generally, I find two is is sufficient. Some organizations require a minimum of three, but yeah, just depends on the client, I guess, sometimes. But I'd say two's two sufficient if they're direct reporting managers within like, let's say, you know, the last five to 10 years, you know, like anything okay. beyond 10 years and I'm starting to think, okay, that's a long time ago. You were a different person. You were at a different level in your career. May have had a you know different skill set back then. A lot's changed. So yeah, that's a really good point, actually, in terms of the time that's passed. I don't. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the harder it is to remember ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and specifically commenting on what somebody did with me ten years ago. Yeah, it gets harder and harder. It's a little foggy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, recency. That's a really good point. I never thought about that before. So what are your thoughts on contracting out references and background checking? So there are companies out there now that will do this on behalf of organizations. They'll do parts of the process, all of the process. What are your thoughts on those companies that do that work and and you know, clients using that or organizations using that to save time? I think you could do it in a scenario where 
you know, you've got a high volume of roles and, you know, maybe they're retail roles or, you know, what I might call less skilled or educated positions or sorry, positions that require less experience or, or less skill or even less education. And I, okay. I think you could do that where, you know, you're, you're, again, you're calling a lot of references. You, you've got a lot of calls to make and you just don't have the bandwidth on your team to do it. Where I'd be concerned using it is a couple of areas, I think. One being, does that organization know your culture? And do they mm. know the work environment? So when they're asking these questions, do they get the context, you know, for the department, for the team, for the larger organization in terms of the work environment? As I mentioned earlier, you want, when you're calling a reference, you want to give them some context for the role. Sometimes people will say to me, you know, what role are they applying for? What's the company? Okay, great. I, you know, can you give me some more data on it if I haven't already? And they'll get some context and then they'll respond with, you know, how this person worked rather than just answering off the cuff saying, oh, well, they did fine in our environment, you know, and it doesn't really give us much context. So I don't know about, uh, you know, a third party resource having the ability, you know, uh, the skill or experience to do that. Maybe they do. I'm I'm not sure. I haven't have to be candid and say I haven't used used an organization like that before, but I, I think I'd okay. probably prefer not to outsource it unless it was really high volume for a, a lower level of skill and experience. What, what are your thoughts? I've never used them before. I have a client that's contemplating it, but there's it's expensive to contract it out for one. And to your point, you do lose some of that, you know, ability to probe and, and that company having the full scope of your context. So I would totally agree. I I do think though there's perhaps value in using a third party to validate credentials, which I think is becoming more important as it becomes easier to falsify those types of things. You know, and there's certainly been some sensational stories out there of, you know, people being hired to high-level positions supposedly having (laughs) master's degrees from prestigious universities and not actually having attended those universities or, or completing them. Right. So, you know, if you have a requirement for a particular level of education, then you should be validating that that person actually did attend that institution. And yeah, you know, those sorts of things there, you know, I've worked for organizations where we've had to do credit checks, certainly criminal record checks. And those can be time consuming to facilitate if you're doing it yourself. So there may be value in contracting that out, but the actual like reference check conversation, I I agree. I think someone within the organization or the recruiter that really understands the role is in the best position to have that conversation. Yeah, and I agree. The, the the background checks, the whether it's a credit check or a criminal record check, you know, any of those types of checks, I would absolutely leave that to the professionals. But yeah, as far as the, you know, the reference call and chatting with hiring, you know, previous hiring managers, those types of things, I think probably better left, you know, to the te- the internal team, if possible, or or the agency, the recruiter that you're working with. Makes sense. 
Let's switch over to the candidate's perspective for a moment, because a lot of my listeners are early in their career and maybe active job seekers themselves. What advice do you have for candidates when it comes to preparing for the reference check process? Because I know it's a question that comes up up a lot for me. Yeah, I, you know, I think not everybody keeps in touch with, with their former bosses, you know, their former leaders, you know, we all have different levels of connection with those leaders, you know, throughout our career. And so I think, you know, the best thing you could do if you're thinking about looking for a job and, and starting a job search, really the best thing would be to reach out to that individual, track them down early on, you know, make that connection, let them know that you're looking for an opportunity, let them know that you're going to use them as a reference and, and tell them a little bit about your job search. Tell them a little bit about mm. what you're looking for in the next step or stage in your career, you know, to give them that context so that when you do get to the reference stage, you know, they have some context for that, that conversation. And, and so that'd be early on. Then as you get through the process, I would say, you know, checking back in with them to say, okay, they're ready to check references in the next couple of days. You know, can you be my reference? You know, when you get their permission, tell them more about the job. I would even say, send them the job description. So yeah. They can see the types of work you're going to be doing. And again, give them context for the culture, the company, you know, what that organization's looking for, maybe what their values are and, you know, just things like that to give them a, a sense of you know, how they might want to respond and, and you know, kind of speak about your experience and personality. I think that's such good advice, you know, to prepare the reference, right? Don't just ask them, but actually prepare them for what types of roles you're applying for or the specific role that they might be asked about. I think that's really good advice. Yeah. I I get asked to be a reference a lot by former students and you know, I always tell them I you didn't work for me, so I can only speak to our time in the classroom, which is quite limited, unless I, you know, was in, worked with them in a different capacity, like, say, with the student HR club or an event or something like that. But I I still ask them, you know, if you're going to use me for a reference, let me know when they're getting ready to check references so that I don't ignore a phone call from an unknown number or... Right you know, an email from somebody that I don't recognize or something like that. And I do ask them to send me the job description and a copy of their resume. I want them to have the best opportunity. And and I can't do that if I don't have the context of why they think they're a good fit for this job. Right? Yeah, because I'm going to be asked that. So I want to know, you know, sort of why they see themselves as a fit as well. So I think that's good. If you can prepare them, you'll get a better reference. That's a great idea. Sending your resume. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and sometimes too, especially for me, you know, if I, if I haven't taught someone in a, you know, year and a half, they've done things in that year. I don't, I don't know everything they've been doing or where they've been working or, you know, so it's good for me to see what they've been up to since then as well. Even though I can't speak to those experiences, I, I, it's still good for me to have that context. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I was just going to add, so you talked earlier about using a reference to validate what somebody said in their interview. And, and it just got me thinking that, you know, when you're 
joining and leaving companies, you typically have a reason for joining it. And then you have a, t- a reason, you know, hopefully a few years later for leaving it. And so you might want to discuss that with your reference, you know, and, and I've, you know, I've explained yes. to them of why I joined the company and, and what I achieved while I was there. You know, one of my biggest accomplishments while I was there. And then I also told them, you know, why I left and just, you know, so that you maybe refreshing the, the individual on, on why you left or, or not, you're validating it. I don't know, but um, yeah, maybe one point of, of, you know, concern or question by the ref, uh, the referee, the person doing the reference, asking why, why the person left, you know, and, and just kind of yeah. validating that. And what advice do you have for someone that maybe left on not the best terms, but it, let's say it wasn't their fault, but things didn't end all rosy with a farewell party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the the person maybe has a reference from that organization, but maybe they feel like they can't use the person that directly supervised them because they're concerned about what they'll say. How would you recommend a candidate approach that? Because I'm sure that happens. You mentioned before that maybe the environment wasn't great or wasn't a great fit for them. Yeah. How do they handle that reference process? Well, I guess the first first thing I would say, Melanie, you know, there's probably a lot of students listening to this is don't burn any bridges. You know, just know that this is, you know, a marathon and not a sprint and, you know, you're you're going to be working for a lot of years and you're going to need those references for a lot of years to come. So, you know, no matter how rough, you know, and how brutal the environment, you know, just be a professional, you know, when you leave, you know, what I always make the joke, don't burn the place to the ground when you leave, you know, cause it will come back to haunt you. It, it, it could prevent you from finding that dream job or landing that dream job that you've, you know, just did three or four rounds of interviews for, and then you get to the reference and, you know, it turns out you left, you know, a disgruntled employee and, you know, trashed the place when you left or, you know, told everyone off, like, it's just not going to look good. So don't burn bridges. That's the first thing. And I guess, you know, going back to the the point, point about calling these references and connecting with them and, you know, telling them about your job search and, and just gauging their, you know, their, their interest in giving you a reference, what they might say, like, mm. you can really get a lot from the conversation and, tell them what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, if you, if you didn't do a great job in that role, you, you could admit it with them and, and kind of talk through areas that you could have, you know, developed in and maybe even talk to them about areas you've been working on since that role, how you've developed since then, you know, in those, those weaker areas. Um, but I would say, you know, if it's, if it's me and I'm the recruiter and I'm calling you and saying, you know, sorry, Joel, I, I just, I don't know if I can give that person, I'm going to say, I'm going to need to talk to that person. (laughs) I'm not going to let up until I talk to that person. So unless there's really extenuating circumstances, you know, that I can be convinced that, okay, that is not the right person to talk to. We're going to talk to this person over here, Um, you know, but it's not going to be a peer or, you know, just a customer. It's going to need to be a different manager that you reported to. Right. So, Yeah. Or a next level manager, yeah. if that's possible, right? So you yeah. reported to the manager, but you can call the director maybe. That's right. Yeah. And get a reference from them. Great point. The point about not burning bridges is super important. And and you and I both know over the course of our careers where we've made decisions to leave organizations 
and and sometimes it's under difficult circumstances, right? But taking the high road, especially when you're early in your career, is really important. This is not the time to make a TikTok video about how your employer pissed you off and how they're doing everything wrong in their organization if you want to get hired by another organization. (laughs) Because the way we look at it from the recruiting perspective is, well, if they were prepared to do that for this employer, what's to stop them from doing that to us? Yeah. Right? Yeah. What are your thoughts, Joel? Should people have a reference on their resume for every place of employment or their most recent places of employment? And and what about, you know, just just having one? Yeah, I, you know, I think if you're in the process and the organization's asking for references and you can only, you know, track down one in a reasonable amount of time, let's say that's, you know, the same day or the next day, and this is, you know, my timeline in my head, if, if we're getting to the point of references, I'd love to see those references within, you know, 24 hours would be ideal. Right. Um, if it takes longer, it's understandable, but just give the employer and or the recruiter that you're working with some context for, you know, the, the delay, I guess I would say. But yeah, I would absolutely submit that first one say, here's one, you know, this is a person I reported to in my most recent job. And I'm working on the second, just haven't been able to connect with them. Um, Perfect. To give them context for that. But yeah, I think if you are talking more about the process of putting references on your resume, I think that's totally fine. I've kind of heard mixed reviews out there, you know, usually says references upon um, available upon request. That's an option. You can put the references right on there. And that was actually one of the recommendations when I was in college by a recruiter saying, look, put them on there because you never know who that person might know. And, you know, it might just build some credibility right off the bat. You're saying, mm. this is an employer that I work for, you know, maybe it's someone that that hiring manager knows by some chance, you know, so they can call them directly. Or if nothing else, it just shows that you have nothing to hide. You're happy to, you know, share previous employers' names and contact without even, you know, you know giving prior, you know, uh, consent or whatever. And, and so it, all, it I think it just shows shows up really well for, for the candidate. So you, know, you can include them. That's awesome. I never thought about that, that just having them on your resume might send a positive signal to the person doing the hiring. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Good. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So before we wrap up, I've kept you here longer than I wanted to, That's for great. sure. Thank you so much. I have five speed questions I like to ask my guests and you didn't get a chance to answer these last time we spoke. So I want to give you a chance to answer them today. If you are willing. Yes. I'm excited. Let's do it. Okay. Perfect. So the first one, if you could work for any organization in the world, one that you admire, what would it be and why? You know, I'm, I'm kind of torn. I think it would either be, you know, like a Disney because of the creativity mm. and, you know, just this, you know, kind of dare to dream, you know, we're dreamers, you know, creative, innovative. Like, I, I just think all of that, you know, all of those themes, I guess, in their culture, I think would be really exciting. And who doesn't want to be a kid again and just go back to Disneyland and, you know, yes. <laughs> forget all your problems in the real world for a day and do that as a job, I guess, maybe in a, in a sense. But I think it'd probably be, 
you know, like an Arcteryx or, you know, pick mm. another you kind of, I would say smaller. I mean, Arcteryx is pretty big now, but, you know, an MEC, an Arcteryx, a Vancouver-based, you know, kind of outdoor apparel company, because I just love the outdoors. I just think it would be really cool to, you know, kind of market their jobs, their career opportunities, where people are going to be able to have an opportunity to work on products that they themselves might be really passionate about, you know, like we've, you know, you and I have both recruited for a lottery company. I've recruited for a, a, a wine and, and spirits company. It was hard to get really passionate about, you know, developing the next lottery ticket or the next uh, you know, right. vodka. For, like for me to relate to that, it wasn't really there. But I did believe in what the organization was doing. And so sure. you know, the kind of the culture and, and the mission and values of the company, you know, growing, you know, in, in BCLC anyways, you know, growing its revenues in order to give back to healthcare, education, infrastructure. You know, they built a beautiful playground just down the street from my house, you know, through proceeds nice. from a casino. And for me, that really hit home to say, this is a great space for my kids to hang out and play. And so, you know, there was kind of a connection there, but yeah, I'd love to be right. uh, in an organization where I use their products every day and could get really excited about it. And yeah. Yes. I think that would probably be, you know, a couple of. That's super cool. A guest I had on earlier this year, Donna Hall, who has a career coaching company. She's on the Sunshine Coast, I believe. And uh, that's what she said. MEC or Patagonia because yeah. she loves being outdoors and and loves their products and felt that you know that would be a good alignment and I love what you're saying about Disney because that's really one of my favorite places to go is Disneyland I could awesome. I could go there every year and never get bored of it that's awesome I've got a friend I think she's been there 19 times something really oh, oh she's got me beat I think I'm at eight yeah she's I think I gotta go again well into double digits. Um, That's awesome. Uh, as a, yeah, as an adult and, and a kid. But yeah, I can't believe I forgot Patagonia. That would absolutely be, you know, their mission, their vision, their values. You know, the fact that they yeah. shut the doors. They actually closed down sales on Black Friday. You know, counterintuitive from a business perspective. The shareholders probably freaked right out when they first did that. But they did it because they knew people needed to unplug. And they wanted to make it a day of unplugging as opposed to commerce. And so that's pretty amazing. You know, and what they do for the environment is incredible. So yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Next question. What is your go-to de-stressing activity? How do you reduce stress in your life? Trail running in the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 the, that's my go-to. Just get out into the, yeah. the wilderness, BC. I mean, that's why I love BC so much. We're right here living in the mountains, it's, you know, five minute drive to the trailhead and you can yeah. be, you can be lost in the forest pretty quick. It's pretty cool. Yeah. You live in the perfect, perfect place to do that as well. We you know, it's so beautiful there. Absolutely. Okay. If you could go back to the day you graduated from university or high school, what advice would you give yourself? You know, that's, that's a good question. And I have to say, I don't, I don't know that I would change anything. But I think back to the decisions I made 
when I first graduated, yeah, I went into theater arts in college and that certainly helped me have more, you know, confidence as we talked about earlier before we started recording, just, you know, confidence in my life speaking in front of large crowds, you know, that translated into, I think anyways, being comfortable presenting in front of uh, clients and talking with customers as a sales rep when I first started my career, you know, would I have changed the companies that I, you know, kind of that hired me or that that I selected or that I accepted offers from? I don't think so. You know, they were right in that time and that space. And you kind of, you know, you have to reflect back and think, well, you know, probably could have changed a lot of things, but I think just everything that I learned along the way and the kind of the bumps and bruises that I got, you know, really kind of shaped who I am as a recruiter today. You know, I had a bad experience with a recruiter in 2006 and was really disappointed with with the approach that the recruiter, this agency recruiter had taken. And I think that really has been my guiding light, if you will. Like it's it's the how not to do mm-hmm. it as a recruiter kind of reflection that I have every year as as I'm thinking about, you know, how I recruit that keeps me on the path of, you know, you know, taking care of people through the process and, and, and you know, being, uh, you know, operating with integrity and, and just really providing it what I think, you know, what I hope is a world-class experience for every candidate and every hiring manager. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I would change awesome. anything. Yeah. Well, it's good to have no regrets, right? <laughs> yeah. I, well, there's lots of regrets. I don't think that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> just no advice. <laughs> Just no ability to change any of it. And, you know, it's those were good. Sometimes good acceptance is. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, I think that's good, though, too. You know, what you're saying about how that early experience shaped who you've become as a recruiter. And I, I think it's good to reflect back and see how the things we've experienced shape who we become. And, yeah. You know, are we, are there things we would still change? Are there things that, you know, we're really happy with? And I don't know, self-reflection's always a good exercise. So, and I would say your theater program totally paid off because I, I see you as one of the most comfortable people when it comes to public speaking and being genuine and thinking on your feet like you're, you're just so good at that and you make it look so easy. Um, I've always admired that about you. So it, oh, thank you. it paid off, Joel. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know what I would do with it. You know, I moved to the West Coast to be an <laughs> actor and realized very quickly I was a terrible actor. And so. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, just transitioned you know, some of that confidence, public speaking into, into sales and ultimately recruiting. So that's awesome. All right, coffee or tea? Tea. Tea all the way. Tea? Yeah. Ah, I always thought you were a coffee drinker. Yeah. I, I love a good espresso, you know, maybe cappuccino, a latte. I actually just had a pumpkin spice latte from Starbucks the other day. Oh my gosh, that was so good. You know what's so funny? I had one this year and I, I don't normally order lattes. I'm very boring with my coffee, even though everyone that listens to this knows I'm fueled by coffee but um I had one and I was over the moon like and it's been years since I had one and I'm always like oh this pumpkin spice stuff why is this such a big deal but 
it really is good. <laughs> it, it really is. So that's the thing that <laughs> yeah. took me back. I, I've watched all the the memes on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and I've I've seen the ads for pumpkin spice coming out now in August, and it just like I've I've stayed you know clear of it for years. Like it's probably probably ten years since I've had a pumpkin spice, and I I've on a whim had one the other day and it was delicious. <laughs> so yeah. But I'd say Okay, I might get one this afternoon when I go out. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Awesome. Yeah, I, I would say I'm a tea guy because I don't like the the caffeine. It gets me uh gets me a little too mm -hmm. kind of wired up and jittery. So yeah. 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 I think I'm immune to it now. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah, there was a something a breaking point where it just doesn't work anymore. That's right. Diminishing returns. Yeah. Okay, last question. Uh, which book or film has had the biggest impact on you as a person or a professional and why? Ooh, I'm not much of a bookie. Uh, I'm not much of a reader. I would probably say, you know, I, and I probably should say something like Wolf of Wall Street or <laughs> what's a, the Boiler Room, you know, just as being a sales, sales guy or, you know, sales professional over the years. It's probably what I should say. But you know, I, I felt like those were the antithesis of who I am as a sales rep. Uh, right. So, you know, I guess maybe just back to my childhood was was probably, and you're going to laugh at this, but, you know, just off the top of my head, probably Ace Ventura, Pet Detective with, with Jim Carrey. And, oh, my God. You know, it's it's probably more of my, my personal side of my life than my professional career. But I just found for years... I got really good at doing impressions of Jim Carrey and, and uh, <laughs> parts parts of that movie. And in an office setting, someone would figure out that you could do it, and then you would do it, and you know you would recite this monologue, and pe everyone would roar. And so it just I don't know. It felt like I felt like it it made uh, you know connections. You know, it's like somebody say, "Oh, well, what's the most embarrassing thing about yourself that nobody knows?" And it's like, well, I can do the whole scene of you know. Jim Carrey and you know this part of the movie and like, oh, okay you got to do it and so you would do it and, and you just form this connection <laughs> and get people laughing and so yeah I'd say that's that, that might be one of them one of the one of the top movies for me. Joel how have I never seen your Ace Ventura impression that that movie came out when I was working at Earl's here in Kamloops going to university yeah. And this guy that I worked with named Darren, he did the most amazing impressions. And when that movie hit the theaters, I don't know how many times we saw it, yeah. but I fell in love with Jim Carrey at that moment. Like I've, awesome. I've loved everything he's done since, yeah. but that movie was so important to me in that whole period of time in my life, because to your point, it just brought all of us together. Like big groups of us went to the theater and yeah. people were always doing the impressions and always reciting the lines. And it went on for years. That's awesome. That is so good. Yeah. Well, that, and I guess that's maybe why we've gotten along so well. All these years. <laughs> we've not, it has nothing to do with our MBTI. No, it's Ace Venture and Pet yeah. Detective. Yeah. I love that's it. Awesome. Okay. Next time I see you, that's it. Okay. I'm it's on. I want the impression, man. It's, it's gotta yeah. happen. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joel, for 
being so giving of your time. Um, this went way longer than I expected, but uh, I think there's so much value in everything that you've shared here today. And uh, I just really enjoyed our conversation. It's always nice to chat with you. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Melanie. This has been a great chat. And I'll say I've got some really good notes here from some of your stories too. So thank you. Thanks for this podcast. This is just such good content uh, that you're putting out and, and I'm, I'm grateful to, to be a part of it. So yeah, thank you. Awesome. Well, that was a fun conversation. I don't know about you, but I really want to go and watch every single Jim Carrey movie that he ever made. And I am going to hold Joel to that impression the next time I see him. So he better be ready for me. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. I know I did. And I hope you got a lot out of it. If you're in a recruiting role and you have some doubts about reference checking, it's definitely something that you need to consider and work with your team on. Often it does take some persuasion with your hiring managers, but you know, that's also a big part of our job is influencing others and helping them make the best decision for their organization. If you want to connect with Joel, you can reach out to him on LinkedIn. You can email him at joel at arbutasearch.com. And there will be links to everything in the show notes, which you can find at www.unicorngroup.ca forward slash episode 39. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, I really encourage you to click that button wherever you're listening. And if you love it, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a recommendation on LinkedIn. I know it seems like a small thing, but it makes a big difference in increasing the visibility of this podcast and putting it in front of more emerging HR practitioners just like yourself. As always, I really appreciate you being here. I'm grateful for your time. Take care. Bye for now.